Today's episode of Wizards After Dark is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with free stock by going to wizards.robinhood.com. That's wizards.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. That's rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. crossover episode today uh i'm fred katz i'm the host of wizards after dark and 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 the host of game notes tony jones is with me uh i do want to say that as we started this podcast right now in a windowless room in the back of capital one arena that tony just took out his gum and and stuck it to his jeans is on my left knee (laughs) because it's going right back in my mouth Afterwards, it's disgusting. It's not disgusting. That's disgusting. No, it's efficient. That's what it is. Okay, these pieces, these packs of gum cost a dollar a piece. All right, or a dollar eighty nine. A dollar a piece. Yes. What kind of gum? Listen, I have kids. That means all my other money is gone. This is my personal stash. Oh my god! Listen, that was a whole other. Listen, level. did you say that you wanted to slander me? Yes, I did. But I'm just let's just get that out of the way. This is windowless, so we can also end up in blows. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> smashing my head against know. these bricks. Uh, so Tony was supposed to. If if Tony's name sounds familiar, it's it's because he hasn't been on the pod before. Woo. Because Tony was supposed to come on the pod over the off season, and uh, if you were listening. To it then, you would know that he did not come on. I ended up having to have uh, the esteemed Brett Dawson on, who covers the Lakers for us now. Uh, And I had to end up having Brett on. And Brett and I spent the entire podcast just destroying and ripping and roasting (laughs) Tony as much as we possibly could. Because Tony forgot about the podcast and then messed up his Skype and then further messed it up. For some reason, we're doing this podcast now. Listen... I'm going to defend myself here, okay? I seem to remember having something to do for my with or for one of my daughters. Yes. I have two daughters. I have two kids. One of them is 15. Shout out to Kelsey. One of them is 10. Shout out to Courtney. They are both very active. They both play sports. They both go to dance. And obviously, they go to school. And they're girls, which means, you know, they need a ton of other stuff as well. So... It was a daughter issue. I had to do something for one of my daughters. I forget which one. It was like October. And then, you know, I was not blowing Fred off. Okay. I do not deserve this slander. In fact, I'm on the verge of tears. So I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I can't imagine me. what you look like when you cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be amazing. <laughs> I don't know what I look like when I cry either. So hopefully it doesn't happen anytime soon. Where where are we starting with this? So the Jazz the Jazz beat the Wizards one twenty seven to one sixteen. Uh, Rudy Gobert was un. I mean Bogdanovich was the leading scorer. Beal had twenty five. Bogdanovich had thirty one. But Gobert was Gobert was by far the best player on the floor tonight, especially in the second half. He finished with twenty one and fourteen. But he was influencing everything around the rim. The Jazz were down fifteen, and the way that he was just. It wasn't just that I think he gets a lot of credit as a rim protector, but in part because he's so long and in part because he's so smart and in part because he has, I think, quicker feet than his reputation implies, like he just takes away so much of you want to do in terms of like you can't get a pocket pass by him on on pick and roll. You know, you just can't do it. He keeps his hand down and you're just not going to get it there. The Wizards took 22 threes tonight and that was it, right? 23 threes tonight, not a lot. 
And I think part of that was just Gobert and the Jazz schemes in general just executing so well and keeping them from taking shots they wanted to. The only time they really got anything around the rim in the second half was after Gobert got his fifth foul. Right. And Beal started attacking and had some, to his credit, some really impressive finishes over him. He actually finished over Gobert a couple times down the stretch. Yeah, three times. Um, Mahimi actually finished around Gobert. Um, once down the stretch, I think it cut the lead to, to five or three or something like that. Um, but, you know, what Gobert is a quintessential chip on chip on the shoulder guy. And he coasted through all of the first half and the first part of the third quarter. Um, and, the, and the turning point um, of, of what turned out to be the game was... Um, Bonga goes to the basket. Isaac Bonga goes to the basket. He gets caught in, in the air underneath the rim. Um, he throws up a shot, doesn't go in. Lauren Holtkamp um, calls a foul on Gobert, and Gobert is incensed. Um, and Gobert complains so much uh, that James Williams hits him with a technical foul. Uh, the Jazz are down 15 at that point. Um, actually, they would be down 15 um, a possession later, um, and it seemed it would seem like the, the, the game is over. And Gobert just woke up and just dominated the entire game um, on a gargantuan level uh, since that point. And the Jazz they they use a huge run to get back in the game. Um, they they take the lead going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Tony Bradley turns in four good minutes. And they take an 11-point lead uh, in the non-Rudy Gobert minutes, and 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 then the Jazz just kind of hang on from there. Yeah, you know, Scott Brooks said he thought the big turning point for the Wizards. I don't know if he said turning point. I, I think he just kind of. I'll paraphrase what he said. The important moments, what really won the game for the Jazz, were them winning the minutes with Gobert off at the start of the fourth, the quarter. Of fourth quarter. And I completely absolutely, agree with him. absolutely. Because if they the, needed to make a push, the right? Wizards needed to make that push. Yeah, when Gobert was off, because Gobert was just like it was one of those one of those games where like the plus minus did not lie. Gobert was a right. plus fifteen, and that was totally in line with the eye test. He was that good, and if the Wizards were going to make a run, they were going to have to make that run when Tony Bradley was at the five, and and they didn't do it. Well, we're all tweeting the same things just from different perspectives going into that fourth quarter, right? I believe it was, what was it, 93-91 going uh-huh. into the fourth. Jazz were up 93-91 going into the fourth. I'm tweeting, well, Rudy Gobert played all of the third quarter. He has to sit down some point. He's got to play. He's got to sit for four minutes. The Jazz could very well lose this game in those four minutes. And you're probably tweeting, well, <laughs> Rudy Gobert just played all of the third quarter. He's got to sit sometimes. The Wizards need to win these fourth quarter minutes. And with the Jazz, what happened was the Jazz win the non-Rudy Gobert minutes by actual nine by nine points. And they're up eleven. Um, they're up eleven in those four minutes. Rudy Gobert gets back into the game. Actually, they were up, I believe they were up six when Rudy actually finally got back in the game. But the lead peaked at 11 uh, in the non-Rudy Gobert minutes. And Rudy gets back in the game. And, and you know, I thought there was a, there was a game, uh, one of the games on this run um, where in the, it was Atlanta. Um, the, it was right at the beginning of the run. In fact, it was before this run started. The Jazz won nine in a row. Um, but it's it was a part of the run where the jazz, this run where the Jazz won fourteen and fifteen, um, and every time Rudy Gobert would go off the floor, the lead would either crater or it would balloon in, in Atlanta's way. And um, this is before they cut Jeff Green. Um, they were playing Atlanta. This is before Christmas. Uh, in three minutes, that Rudy Gobert is off the floor. It goes from Jazz up one to Jazz down nine. The Jazz, you know, Quentin Snyder calls timeout, 10 minutes left in the game, um, puts Rudy go back back in the game. Jazz come, come all the way back and win. And what happened tonight, this is some of the, the differences between the Jazz then and the Jazz now is the Jazz actually take the lead and they build on the lead with Rudy Gobert back in the, on the bench and they're able to hang on when he gets back into the game. Talk Bradley Beal. First time he's played in a little bit. Beal missed, uh, I think it was seven of the last eight Wizards games because he had a 
sore right lower leg, and tonight he came back. He was on a minutes restriction. He played 27 minutes. He jacked up 25 shots, over eight from three. Bradley Beal is shooting worse than 31% from three now on the season, which, which I get it. The more of an offensive load you take, the more John Hollinger just wrote like his best quarterbacks in the NBA in the NBA story, and Bradley Beal was. I think he ranked him number eight as the best quarterbacks in the league, the number one guy who quarterbacks an offense. And the more responsibilities you take on, the more you are that high usage quarterback, the more your percentages go down. But it's amazing. You look at Bradley Beal. Last year, he was a 35% three-point shooter. This year, he's down below 31. I didn't expect him to, to fall that low, but he had some nice finishes over Gobert. He did not look rusty by any means he put up a lot of shots he was getting his looks up he looked like he was trying to get two weeks of shots up after after just missing all that um i thought he looked pretty good against you know utah was missing some guys but he looked he played pretty well tonight i thought i suspect that bradley's percentages will go up uh as thomas bryant gets more and more time and this is the reason why i expect um the Jazz figured out in the second half that they did not have to worry about Jan Mahimi whatsoever off the roll. And they they played it as such. Rudy Gobert played as play he was playing drop big in the first half. Uh he plays a step higher the entire second half. Um so he forces the catch uh a step away from the basket. Uh the the shots were more contested. Um, and they, the Jazz just didn't have to worry about Mahimi on the roll. If he caught the ball and he finished, fine. If he made a mid-range jumper, fine. And I think that's one of the things that um, Bradley Beal is missing right now. He's not playing with a great pick-and-roll threat. There's a, a, a stark difference between the, the separation uh, that jazz ball handlers have coming off of Rudy Gobert's Bears pick and rolls, as opposed to the separation wizard ball handlers have coming off of Yamahini pick and rolls or or Thomas Bryant pick and rolls, and and I think that it's the importance of it kind of highlights the importance of having a really good uh, pick and roll threat or pick and lob threat or pick and pop threat. Mark Saul. Um, Rudy Gobert, any one of a number of guys. Um, and I think that that's, you know, kind of what, you know, that's kind of what uh, hurt Bradley Beal tonight. You know, he started off started off making four of his first shots in the first quarter, at eight points in the first quarter. And his first stint, um, things were easy. Um, and the Jazz, steadily as the game progressed, made things harder and harder for, for you know, the, the, the Washington Wizards ball handlers. And that was Bradley Beal, that was Jordan McRae, that was uh, Ish Smith whenever he came off pick and rolls, that was Isaiah Thomas. Um, you know, so the Wizards ended up shooting 50% from the field, almost 51% if you want to round up from 50, 50.5. But they were at 62, 63% uh, throughout the first half. And, and throughout the uh, the first half of the, fir- the third quarter as well. So uh, the Jazz steadily figured out ways to adjust, and they, they, they got uh, Washington's field goal percentage all the way down to, to, to 50%, and they held them to 30% from three. Uh, and those 30, now those 30% from three, you know, four of those went to Davis Bertans because I didn't think the Jazz guarded him well at all tonight. Yeah, well, so I'll tell you, I'll take you one further with what you were talking about with Beal, with the way he's guarded. Because a lot of times, like, no matter who's setting the screen for Beal, teams trap him. Right. Because the threat's just not there to score. And I think when people see aggressive traps on pick-and-roll ball handlers, they think, all right, the way you make him pay is you get rid of the ball quickly, probably to the roll man, because presumably he's not guarded, and then that guy can go try to score. But when teams trap Beal, what they're really betting on is not, all right, Thomas Bryant's setting the screen. He's going to roll hard to the rim. If Beal gives it up to him quickly, Thomas Bryant's going to score. That's not what they're betting on. Or Thomas Bryant won't be able to score. What they're betting on is Thomas Bryant won't be able to make a play for somebody else. They're thinking, all right, we are going to be able to bring over the help onto Thomas Bryant, and we're going to be able to recover, and he's not going to make a decision quick enough whether to pass, who to pass to, where to go, all those sorts of reads. He's not going to make a decision quick enough to where not that he scores, but that the Wizards score. And what Beal really needs in that sense is 
a second passer. And, and I think even more so than a guy who can score out of those pick and rolls. Just somebody who's going to be a quick decision maker out of those. Like, Rui Hachimura is a good scorer at this point. He's a good scoring rookie. When he's healthy, he's nasty from mid-range to the point that, like, he might just be a guy who the numbers say, yeah, take your mid-range shots. You're that good at those mid-range shots. He's getting better around the rim, but he's not a passer. He doesn't know how to go through his reads yet. He doesn't make the proper reads within the offense. He doesn't make the pocket swings within the offense, all that stuff. And that's kind of why I like the idea of Smalls setting screens for Bradley Beal. I would right. love to see. Troy if, Brown. Troy Brown is yeah. a great one. Troy Brown, he can make those reads. Even Ish Smith. Like, let's see. If, you're, if they're just aggressively trapping Bradley Beal, then they're probably even more prone to trapping Bradley Beal if you've got a point guard defending the back end of the pick and roll because he's quicker, could probably recover a little bit quicker. What happens? Ish Smith is going to set a screen every once in a while and he'll naturally pop. What happens if you have Ish Smith hard roll? Like, act like Draymond Green. Right. Have Ish Smith hard roll and then have Ish Smith kick out or something and see what happens there. Like, I think those sorts of things might be a way around it. You can't do that every time. You can't just have, like, Ish Smith. Ish Smith, who's my height and, and like, probably 40 pounds lighter than me. You can't have that guy be your main screener. Of course not. Uh, right. But that's kind of – yeah, Troy Brown would work too. That's, that's kind of what uh, I think the roster is missing. Because you can pick and pop with Bertans, but Bertans is not going to make a play once he gets the ball secondarily. Right. And Thomas Bryant will occasionally kick to a corner, a corner three-point shooter, that kind of stuff. But, but consistently he's kind of just looking, I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to go score with it, which is which is okay. He's a he's a good to very good offensive player, but he's not that guy, you know. I thought the Jazz did a really really good job of making Ish Smith play basketball, Yamahimi play offense, and this is what I mean. Um, in that first half, the guys the the guys the Washington Wizards wanted to take the shots were taking their shots. Bradley Beal was taking shots. Jordan McRae was taking shots. Isaiah Thomas was taking shots. Davis Bertans was taking shots. Everybody that the Wizards was like, okay, we want these guys with the basketball. We want these guys taking shots. They were taking shots. Those shots were coming with 12 or 11 in the clock. Those shots were coming quick. And you know why they were coming quick? Because their first options worked. The Jazz in the second half... There were too many times for the Wizards where Yamahimi would have to make a play with five on the clock. Ish Smith would have to make a play with five on the clock. Troy Brown would have to make a play with five on the clock. You know, the guys that did, the Jazz wanted to take shots. And I thought that that was a, a big difference in the third quarter. And, that, and I thought that that was a reason, one of the reasons why the Jazz were able to come back. And not only come back, but get, get back in the game so quickly. They were down 15. They got back into the game in four minutes. And... Um, I thought that that was that was one of the reasons why. Okay, you're 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 running the Jazz. Yeah. Tony Jones is the sole decision maker for the Utah Ooh, Jazz. Let's go. There you go. Okay, go ahead. I'm promoting you. Um, the Wizards have said publicly. Tommy Shepard has said publicly he does not want to trade Davis Bertans. They want to resign him. All that. But you're running the Jazz. You have Tommy Shepard's number. You can give him a call and say, "What do you want? Are you doing that?" And if so, what are you offering? Okay, I'm def I'm absolutely doing it because if you're the Jazz right now, um, I think he's a great fit for them. He's a terrific fit because right now the Jazz are the Jazz are to me probably the best three point shooting team uh, in the league. Um, they shot ten for thirty tonight, thirty three percent, and that was one of the worst shooting nights in like two weeks um so and you can never have enough shooting and davis bertans bends defenses with his shooting maybe better than them i'm gonna say this uh, this is not a comparison say it. Hey, guys say it. guys this is not a comparison to davis bertans to this guy as a basketball player say it. so don't be like oh my god tony jones just compared davis bertans to Say it. Yeah. I'm going to say it. Davis Bertans bends a defense kind of like Steph Curry bends a defense. Yeah. With his shooting. With his gravity, guys. With his gravity. Which means you have to guard him from half court in. Okay, do you agree with that? I think he's been 
I think he's been the best shooter in the NBA this season. I I don't disagree. I don't know about the volume. I mean, his volume obviously he's taking nine again. No, no, his volume is terrific. Um, and and he's a catch and shoot guy. He's a little bit off the dribble, maybe one dribble, two dribbles maximum, but so much catch and shoot. A lot of pin downs, a lot of off screens. But catch and shoot from like what? 30, thirty feet, right, thirty two exactly. feet. He he pulled up against Charlotte. He I mean it was hilarious. Charlotte just started guarding him at like started face guarding him starting at half court because he made like six threes in the first half against Charlotte. And so once he started to get hot again in the second half, he just kind of his adjustment was, okay, I'm just going to start shooting from 35 then. Right. And he took a shot off a cash and shoot from the wing. You know, air quotes, the wing, because the wing implies you're like on the wing. He was 12 feet away from the wing. Right. From 35, 36 feet. Catch and shoot with 19 seconds left on the shot clock, and it's swished in. And I forget who was guarding him for Charlotte. Just give this look to James Borrego on the bench. Like, just shrug. Like, his defender was Jordan shrugging. Like, what the hell am I supposed right. to I can't reasonably guard that. Uh, he just, I've seen him pull up from the logo with, he practices shots from the logo. And you'll see guys shoot from the logo just for fun, you know? You just kind of do it to see how they can do it. And, and NBA players are so good that they'll hit them. But he's, like, doing game reps in his warm-ups, shooting from the logo, because that's just where he shoots from. Right. Like, that's a game shot for him. He just does that. It's crazy. He is, you know, the... the Wait, one. I want to hear your offer, though. I want to hear what, what... My offer would probably be Ed Davis and a future first-round pick. That's not going to do it, though. It probably won't do it, but that's probably that's probably the only thing that the Jazz have to offer mm-hmm. at this point. Um, the thing that makes the Jazz so unique as a three-point shooting team is they have a bunch of shooters, but all of those shooters, um, most of those, most of the shooters that they have, can make plays off the dribble. Uh, they can get in the mid-range and they can hurt you there. Um, they're not just, you know, your your garden variety catch and shoot guys. Maybe Georges Yang, but even 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 Yang can 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 get to the basket off the dribble. He did so twice tonight. Um, and you know, and they have a guy who's a who's a dominant playmaker, which is Donovan Mitchell. And now they have a second guy who's turning into a pretty good playmaker off the bench, which is Jordan Clarkson. So. They have so many guys that can shoot the basketball, and they have guys that can bend the defense off the dribble as well. Um, so you add Davis Bertans to, to that mix. I mean, they they would the Jazz would have potential to be uh, just a dominant offense, and I think that you saw some of that tonight. You know, they didn't play well in the first half, um, and you know because they didn't because they didn't play well, they were they were down eleven and. Uh, they scored. They scored seventy-two points in the second half. Am I correct? Thirty-eight. Uh, yeah, seventy-two. Yeah, they scored seventy-two points in the second half, and you know they were just, you know, they they kind of figured out they they kind of figured out a way to do what they needed to do in the second half offensively, and that's just been the Jazz over the last three weeks. So adding Davis Bertans and not losing anybody off of. Um, not lose, not losing anybody off of the rotation that's playing right now. That that would make the Jazz really uh, kind of ridiculous offensively. But I don't know that they can get it done because I think there there are thirty teams in the NBA that are trying to trying to trade for this guy right now. Yeah, I mean, if the Wizards wanted to move him, and I believe that. But can they resign him? Yeah, sure. They have his bird rights. Right. Yeah, I mean they they plan on resigning him. He's restricted or unrestricted. Unrestricted, okay. but he he told me I wrote the story. He told me he wants to come back. Right. So family loves it here. He's very happy. It seems. DC is a great city. He loves it here. His his family loves it here. His wife loves it here. Came. Hey, he he was totally clear about it when he said to me. So I said, "What do you like about the city?" And he said, "Hey, happy wife, happy life." I, I, was very I feel you, Davis. <laughs> I, I feel you. I completely feel you. Says family loves it here. Do the Wizards so, make the playoffs? No. No. No? They don't. 
No, they have the worst defense in the league. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's so bad. But they're like they're like a good bad team. They they they're feisty. If you fall asleep against them, like the the Jazz were just not good in the first half. They weren't good. And the Wizards, the Wizards bit them. I thought it was a difficult game for the Jazz going in because they didn't have Donovan Mitchell tonight. Um, right, and Conley. Obviously, they don't have Mike Conley. Mike Conley's getting, for Jazz fans listening to this, Mike Conley is getting closer to a return. Um, he is um, largely healthy, um, but the Jazz are just being extra cautious with him because they don't want to relapse. So for everybody who's been asking me on Twitter, what's the Mike Conley update? There's your Mike Conley update. You have to subscribe to the Athletic to get <laughs> Mike Conley update. I, I love the best part. Thomas Bryant came back, minutes restriction, 15 minutes tonight. Looked like Thomas Bryant within two minutes took one of his mid-range shots that he loves so much. Yes. Uh, Bradley Beal came back tonight. Okay, I got a question and I, for you. I just love that I no longer am going to have – People tweeting at me. What's the Thomas Bryant update? He's practicing <laughs> with the G League for two weeks. Where is he? Why is he not playing? I have a question for you. Yeah. I wrote a story two days ago or a day and a half ago asking the question if the, the Jazz are look like a contender right now. After watching this Jazz team, where do you see this team? Do you see them as a – obviously they're a playoff team. Do you see them as a – Playoff contender, somebody that can win a round or two, or do you see them as a championship contender? I see them as a second-round team. Okay. I, I still think the two L.A. teams are the best. But, like, hey, the seeding might not work out to where they can meet in the conference finals anyway. Like you might just get – the Clippers might load manage themselves to a 4-5 first-round matchup, and if the Lakers get the number one, they're going to meet in the second round at best. Um, in which case, I, I – I could see the Jazz making it to the conference finals. My questions about Denver, I wonder if Denver is a little bit more of a regular season defense than a postseason defense. I think they have they are really, really good at adhering to their principles. They're really, really good at general schemes that force generally bad shot selection. I think Jokic is overplayed as a not good defender. I think he's a much better defender than his reputation says. And Zach Lowe gets at this a lot. You look at the numbers. Denver's defense is always good when he's on the floor. If he were that bad of a defender, there would be lineups in which that would be exposed. There would be moments or seasons or months or whatever in which he'd be exposed and that wouldn't be reflected in the numbers. But that never happens. They're always good defensively when he's on the floor. I think Mike Malone is a very good overall coach and, and defensive coach as well. But I wonder, um, you know, we've seen moments, teams, when teams hyper-focus, when players start to realize, ooh, I can exploit that, I can exploit that. I wonder if there are weaknesses there than in a playoff series with a great team. Like, kind of like how we saw when I was covering OKC and you were covering uh, the Jazz, obviously, and Donovan Mitchell as a rookie was like, I'm going to Carmelo every time in these pick and rolls. And obviously, Jokic was a million times better defensively than Melo. But that sort of thing where Donovan Mitchell's in a playoff series has shown he can be really good at exploiting switches and that kind of stuff. Um, and now he's so much better than he was then because he's just been great lately. I, I wonder, I think they could win that series. I think there are matchups that could allow them to win that series. They're a great shooting team. I think Quinn Snyder's a really good coach. I could see that happening. Um, but like, if I had to put their most likely outcome on them, I think they're, I think they're like the fourth best team in the West. I kind of like them more than Houston. So who do you like more than them? You like, so you like both LAs and you like Denver more? I like both LAs and I like Denver, but I'm pretty close with them in Denver. But I like, I like the Clippers and the Lakers. I still think the Clippers and Lakers are the two best teams, even though the Clippers randomly just put up duds sometimes. I think the, the Jazz would be a pretty prohibitive underdog against the Lakers because I think the Lakers are a bad matchup for them. And the Lakers um, are just unbelievably good. Yeah, they're, they're really good. I think the Jazz and the Clippers would be close. I think that would be a six or seven game series because I think the Jazz, I don't think the Clippers have a great matchup for Donovan Mitchell. Like, I don't think Paul George, you don't want Paul George guarding him for 48 minutes mm-hmm. and um, you don't want Kawhi chasing him for 48 minutes. Um, and I don't think Pat Beverly can guard him. Um, so I, I, think, I think 
the Clippers' general lack of size in the middle, in the paint, um, makes them um, makes them vulnerable against Gobert. Um, and so I, I would pick the Clippers in six or seven, but I think it would be a, a, a good series, a really competitive series. I think... I think in that in that series, by the way, you'd end up with Beverly guarding Conley, and then Paul right. George guarding Mitchell. The most okay. of the minutes they switch. Or more Harkless. Yeah, Harkless. They like to play it though. I could right. see like Harkless on like angles, like Harkless. Harkless. They Paul George in playoff series has historically never done it with the Clippers, but Paul George in playoff series. His coaches have always liked to use him, even though he's so good off the ball. His coaches have always liked to use him as put him on this shooting guard and use his length to disrupt. You know, last year against uh, Portland, he was guarding McCollum. Right. Like, that's, that's kind of how they like to, to use him. He uses length to disrupt, and that's kind of how Doc is. Doc just lets Beverly just kind of do his thing during the regular season. Uh, but I feel like... You put Beverly at the at the point of like your your pick and roll attack and that kind of stuff, and then you let Paul George do your thing. Also, I would rather have Paul George if you're gonna run like a Mitchell Gobert pick and roll. I'd rather have Paul George switching on to Gobert right. than Beverly switching on right. to Gobert in those situations. Obviously. Yeah, I, you know, I just think I, I think that that the Jazz are a, are a good matchup for the Clippers uh, in terms of. It's a better matchup for the Jazz than the Lakers are. Like I think, I think the Jazz match up awful with the Lakers, but I think that's most teams outside of the Clippers and, and the Bucks right now. Um, you know, so and and I think the Jazz probably have a chance against um, most of the other teams in the West. I I would like to see them against Houston. Um, my my gut feeling says that that. My my gut feels that the Jazz are much more equipped for that matchup than they have been in the past, but you have to see it. And I think that Houston, to at least some degree, is a is a is a mental matchup for the Jazz. It's much of a mental matchup for the Jazz as, as a physical one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be interesting to see as well. Um, West is tough, man. Like, right? I, I you, think you right now, to, if you want to get out of that first round, if you want to guarantee yourselves to get out of that first round, you. You got to get that one of the first two seeds. Yeah. Because if you're three to six, it's yeah. Russian roulette either way. Yeah. Well, I think I think right now, I think right now that Houston is fifth best in the West. But I could be completely wrong. Like I'm just waiting one of these years for James Harden to prove everybody wrong and have everybody. Is he running out of years? He's thirty now. Yeah, but he's still. Right. I mean, he's, he's so good. Oh my God, he's unbelievable. He's unreal. Like, people, no one talks about Harden reasonably. Have you noticed that? Like nobody talks about either. Look at him; he's averaging thirty-eight points a game. Well, he's obviously the MVP. If you vote for anybody else, you just hate his style, and that's why you're voting for anybody else. It's like no, you can think like I think Giannis is the MVP right now, and something because think LeBron's I, the MVP. That's fine too. LeBron is great. But my point is, you can reasonably disagree on the MVP, even if you acknowledge that Harden is great, and it could have nothing to do with liking or disliking the way Harden plays. Then there are the other people who say he's selfish, and I don't like him, and he just puts up his own shots. I think with Harden, I think people's personal feeling uh, interject on objective analysis more more than anyone. More than anybody, maybe in NBA history. Yeah. Because he's that polarizing. Yeah, he is. And, I mean, look, I just think he is an unbelievable player. You can talk about all the analytics you want. And I, first of all, you're not going to find an analytic that doesn't say James Harden's a great player. So I hate it when people talk, say, that, say the thing that I just said. But you can look at all the stuff that you want. You can watch all the film you want. I don't care how much advanced numbers take over the game. And anybody who listens to this podcast or read my stuff knows that I, I love advanced numbers. They're just more information. 38 points per game is unbelievable. That's amazing. That's unreal. It's unbelievable. And please, I don't want to hear anybody say, well, Michael Jordan would have averaged 50. 
it doesn't matter. Yeah. 38 is 38. Great. Well, and Michael, any, and well, Michael any, Jordan was awesome. Right. <laughs> any league, any so era. No, he's, he's, he's a great player. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter if his style grates on you. It doesn't matter if his referee baiting grates on you. Great is great. Um, and, and the fact is, I mean, he's, he's, he's special. He's a special talent. And he, and he always has been and he always will be. Um, my question with Houston is, can they defend well enough? Can this team defend well enough to get the necessary stops at playoff time? Well, that's we, why I have them at five. You got to realize, two years ago when they took Golden State to the seventh game, they were historically good defensively. They were historically good. They were, they were ridiculous defensively. And that was, you know, Ariza was still in his prime defensively. He was still killing people. P.J. Tucker. Um, Chris Paul. Chris Paul was still was so great. Um, and they have they have subtly, you know, switched all of those guys out and replaced them with guys that are not as good defensively. Russell Westbrook is not as good defensively as Chris Paul. Ben McElmore is obviously not as good defensively as, as Trevor Ariza. Um, and they've made that, you know, James Harden didn't have to guard two years ago. Now he has to guard. It's the same thing that made Port that that's killed Portland this year. Damian Lillard and CJ and CJ McCollum did not have to guard. This year they have had to guard because they got rid of Alfaro Camino, they got rid of Mo Harkless, they got rid of all of the guys that did the dirty work. They brought in Whiteside. They brought in Whiteside. People don't realize how good Nurkic was defensively. So good. So good. You look at the rim protection numbers on your Nurkic. And they were always but awesome. One of the best rim protection, protection numbers. His pick and roll defense was great. Yeah, really good. Also, one of the best screeners in the league. One I mean, that's that's missing absolutely. so much of them because Whiteside never squares anybody up on his screens. And Nurkic, one of the best screeners in the league. That's one of the big reasons why they're just not as good. Nurkic is that contract's amazing for them. Four for forty-eight. How many? Has he still got two years left. I think he's got two left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, if he comes back the same player, like he's a really good center, really good center. So he does all the dirty work. He's to me, he's almost all star level. I mean, you know, and when I say that, just keep in mind tough. that I'm not saying all star level over the guys that are all star level. I'm saying all star level, like he's just an all star level guy. I'm saying that with keeping in mind that all of these other guys who are also all star level guys, they exist. Um, I'm just saying that Nurk is. Just really, really good. Almost all-star level. You think Gobert's going to make it this year? He should. Should have made it last year, too. It'd be Scott, Scott Brooks said he thinks he's an all-star. It, it's a travesty if he makes it. I mean, if he doesn't make it. I mean, he's been better than... I mean, he's been better than Carl Anthony Towns this year. He's been better. Who hasn't he been better this year, this year other than Anthony Davis in the West? I think you can argue that Towns has been better. I couldn't argue that. Towns, Towns, Towns is, I think it's reasonable to say Gobert has. Towns has been hurt for a while. How many games has he played? Towns has been hurt for a while. So that's obviously a big, the thing, a big dig. But the Towns thing, is like the right thing, up there with the absolute elite offensive players. In the, 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 problem, the problem with Rudy and Towns is Rudy's teams keep winning. Towns' mm-hmm. teams keep, keep losing. Yeah. And I mean, I voted, I voted Gobert over Towns for All-NBA last year. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's the, the thing. Um, you know, winning is winning. And when you contribute as many as when, when, when an entire system on an entire side of the floor is wrapped around your talents and that team is 27 and 12 and currently second in the West and will be third in the West by the time this blog, did I say blog, by the time this podcast gets up. You deserve to be an all-star. And to me, Cat could be averaging 50 points a game. His team isn't winning. The coaches always talk about winning's all that matters. Vote for the dude. He deserves to be an all-star. It's funny, though, how like the Gobert-type players always get all the other accolades before they get actual all-star appearance. Right? right? Like uh, DeAndre Jordan was an Olympic gold medalist in a first team All first NBA team center NBA. and didn't make an All Star team. Later made one. Uh, Tyson Chandler was All Defense Defensive Player of the Year. 
didn't make an all-star team until the, the thing later. About it is Rudy Gobert. I mean, th- th- those are the player types. Rudy Gobert right now is better than those guys. Yes, in in their primes. Yes, in their respective primes. He's won two Defensive Player of the Year. Right. Like I mean, so I mean, you know, he he's he was a much better screen and roll guy than Tyson Chandler was. Same thing. Maybe not same. not better than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, DeAndre, prime DeAndre, DeAndre, prime DeAndre, DeAndre was ridiculous. Prime DeAndre, prime was, DeAndre like, was ridiculous. Like twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen, yeah, DeAndre throwing down those lobs. Right, just his athleticism. Ridiculous. Oh my god! And the screen assists and and he, an unbelievable screen setter. And he's he's an unbelievable. He was an unbelievable screen setter. And I, the grab, the grab. I thought he was a, a great passer as well. Well, <laughs> guys were horrified. Of DeAndre when they were defending him, of the the problem was on. the problem was I mean if you look at those Clipper teams in retrospect, they just weren't built around DeAndre. What you could argue that the Clippers probably should have traded Blake three years before they did, because if they had and gotten some three point shooting opposite, those Clipper teams probably would have been better and more defense and more defense would have been fascinating. Hard to do that, though, when Chris Paul was getting hurt for 20 games every year. Listen, I'm just saying everybody healthy. Everybody on yeah, arcade. No, I know. Arcade mode, man. Those, arcade those mode. Those Clippers teams are, are – are, that's one of the most fascinating teams in the last Worst 20 players. years. Yeah, one of the best – I mean, that team, people are going to kind of forget that Clippers team because it was the iteration before what's now the Clippers, especially if this team with Kawhi and Paul George wins the title. People are going to kind of forget that team. But those Blake – J.J. Redick, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul teams, those were 56, 57 wins every year. Those were title good. I mean, those, those teams were talented enough to win a title. Jamal Crawford coming off the bench at, like, the height of Jamal Crawford being good. Um, Matt, Dar- Matt Barnes doing crazy Matt Barnes stuff. Those teams were good, and they weren't deep. They did not have good benches. That that year in 15, when they eventually blew the 3-1 lead to Houston in the second round, they ran out of steam because they basically had six and a half players. Uh, Lester Hudson, I think, was their backup point guard that year. They signed, Les- they signed Lester Hudson in, like, April, and then he was their backup point guard. Like, they just had – they had nothing, but they were so talented. Blake was insane in the playoffs that year. Unreal. We talk about physical fitness a lot. But there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things he can do for his body and his mind. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash wizards. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash wizards. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash wizards. That calm.com slash wizards. If you were Justin Zanuck, put your Justin Zanuck hat on right now. Okay. You, you, you take Fred Katz. Fred Katz has told you there are four teams in the Western Conference that are better than you. Three teams in the Western Conference that are currently better than you. Trade deadline is February 6th. What do you do? What is the trade that you make? Do I feel like I have to make the move this year? You have a two-year window with this, with this, with this rotation, and then this is coinciding with Mike Conley's contract. So you're all in. You already made the trade. You already traded Dante Axum for Jordan Clarkson, so you are all in. So what's the trade? I'm trying to think about what's out there. What do you do? Why are you flipping it on me? Because I'm trying to think about what's out there, and you're the guy who covers the team. I just gave you a perspective <laughs> trade. I just said Ed Davidson, the first round pick, <laughs> yeah, for Davis Bertans. So you give yeah, me but a that's not that's not that's not going to get you Davis Bertans. There's just no way. Like there's a zero percent chance. All right, I was just that deal. Ed Davis and two second round picks from the Manja Bielitsa. Oh, that's okay. Bielitsa's good. He's been good for Sacramento. 
That way, that's okay. You, but I mean, you, you need get, a backup four. You can get Belly in backup four. He's you six need, foot nine. He can actually play backup five in you, a pinch. You need someone who can fill the role that Jeff Green was supposed to fill if Jeff Green were actually Jeff Green and not uh, Jeff Green. Belitz is a good one. Give me a trade. We can cut out the part where I sit here thinking to myself. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I like the Bielitsa one. Bertans. I'm trying to think who are like the the stretch guys who are out there. Uh, I mean, you could get Ilyasova for pretty cheap. Oof. You could do... How many guys? There aren't that many guys who I can think of. I think it's going to be a quiet deadline. Do you make... You think it's going to be I think it's. I, I think, think there's going to be, be at least quiet. one or two. I I think I don't think it's going to be quiet. I think that there are teams out there. I think the West is. I think there. I think there are a lot more buyers than there are sellers because the bottom of each conference is so bad, and you have like eighteen teams jumbled thinking they might have a chance at number eight, which is good for the league in the long run because you have teams who are trying to win for a little bit. Uh, but I think you might end up having more buyers than sellers at the end of it. I think it might be tough. I think there are so many teams that think they have a chance if they make one more move that I think that they're going to be it's going to be aggressive. Like people are going to talk. Yes, but there have to be teams that are willing to give up. I think well, Detroit's a seller. Yes, right Detroit's now. a seller. Um, I think that the Wizards are kind of sellers without much to sell. I don't think the Wizards. I mean, if there's if there's sellers, that means Bertans. There's nothing else. Not Bertans. I could, you know, John Hollinger suggested could Jordan McRae be a midseason trade piece. Jordan McRae. Well, not is, for the Jazz. I mean, right now Jordan McRae is a six man because he's playing for the Wizards. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think if you put Jordan McRae in a winning situation, like you can't take Jordan. You you took Jordan Clarkson from Cleveland. And put him in Utah. Yeah, and, Cleveland sellers. And he became, he immediately became a six man extraordinaire. Like he was, he immediately played the same role, right? You can't take Jordan McRae from the Washington Wizards and put him on the Utah Jazz and expect him to be a good six man. No, he's not a sixth man. He's not a sixth man. He's a, he's a scorer off the bench who can give you some points. You're not getting a legitimate pick for Jordan McRae. That wasn't the inclination. I'm just thinking of teams that aren't racing for eight. Okay. Um, New York Knicks. Marcus Morris is going to go somewhere. Maybe. They say he might not. They'd be... That could just be... That could just be... Like... For for negotiating purposes. That's just, that's just idiotic because you can get a first round, first round of form the way he's played this year. It's been great. And there's no reason to not get a first round Mar- on that, in but, that roster. But Marcus Morris, I don't see on this Jazz team. With the way that he plays. If, with the way that he commentates possessions. He, with the way that he plays, he could, he could fit in with the Jazz team. Because I think he's smart enough to... He commandeers possessions, though. I don't think he would commandeer possessions with the Jazz. I think it's, I think it's enough of a culture... And there's enough of a hierarchy that he would just go to a corner and shoot 40%. And, you know, when, when they give him, the, like, you know, same, same, he'd do the same thing that he did for Boston. Like, he was really good. Problem is, I don't think that the Jazz would ever trade for him because of outside of the locker room. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that. But New York Knicks, they have Marcus Morris who's been really good, and they should absolutely sell him and get rid but of him. Other than Morris, but other than Morris, all of the one-year deal guys the Knicks brought in, who's going to want to give up anything? Taj Gibson for, has, has some value. Taj Gibson had a really good game the other day. He's a great vet in the locker room, great teammate. I don't see anybody giving anything up so they can have Taj Gibson. I don't I see anybody. Guys, I give up a couple of seconds Taj. Uh, uh, he's... I don't, he's I mean, he's he's an improvement on what they have. Yeah, I I don't see anybody giving up stuff for Bobby Portis. Nobody's giving up anything for Bobby Portis. I don't see anybody giving up stuff for Alfred Payton. Yeah, Alfred Payton can't shoot, so nobody's giving up anything for Alfred Payton. Yeah, I mean, all the guys who they were like, what if we just give them large salaries on one-year deals and then get stuff back? Well, Reggie Bullock. Yeah, Reggie Bullock's a nice player. Very good shooter. 
Very good shooter. And a good defender. Yeah. Reggie Bullock's good. He would help in a number of places. Yes. If he's if he's healthy and, and good to go. Yes. Then that's that's one for sure. And he's so back now and playing. They should absolutely be sellers. Phoenix. Phoenix does not want to be sellers. Phoenix, they should be sellers. They should be sellers. But they don't want to be. I think the day case. But that's that's kind of the team. Phoenix, Sacramento. Those are the teams that, like that I'm thinking. A, I think Phoenix, if if you shop there hard enough, you get a first for Aaron Baines. But like Phoenix and Sacramento, those are the teams I'm talking about when I'm like, if you had a normal eight seed situation and not San Antonio wedged in their five games below 500, and you had a team that was based to win 46 games as the number eight in the Western Conference, Sacramento might, might actually accept their fate as not a playoff team. But now they're like a game or two or whatever it is back of the eight seed. And that team thinks it has a chance. Darren Fox is going to be okay. And they have a chance to do something with, with, a, with a healthy roster. Like Phoenix hasn't made the playoffs since 1942. They're, <laughs> they're trying to – they're going to try to make the playoffs. They can. Same thing with Sacramento. Like those are the types of organizations where like you would but think they're they not going to make the playoffs. Oh, and it's going to be very apparent in three weeks. Yeah, man, maybe, maybe. I don't know, man. I covered a team last year. It was 22-32 and 32 <laughs> at the trade deadline. And it was very apparent to me they weren't going to make the playoffs. Very apparent to everybody else they weren't going to make the playoffs. And they held on to Trevor Ariza. And they held on to Jeff Green when they could have gotten second-round picks for both those guys, even though they were, both, they were both upcoming, unrestricted free agents who could have gone and signed anywhere else and weren't going to help them in terms of like what they should have been trying to do last year. And the reason they did it, I spoke to Ernie Grunfeld after, and Ernie told me it was because they wanted to, quote, remain competitive. And that was why. And they were th- 22 and 32 at the time. And that was the reason. I think the Jazz, there are a couple of things that are working in their favor to the point where I don't think that they should be so married to their picks. And one is... Donovan Mitchell is 23 years old. Rudy Gobert is 27. As long as those guys are on the roster, that team is going to be really, really good. And those guys, both of those guys are really, one is very, very young, and one is just entering his prime. He's got four years in his prime. Um, the, second, the second thing is the Jazz are becoming one of the best franchises in the league at finding people from very obscure places uh, and developing them into very good role players. Royce O'Neal was an undrafted, was undrafted. The Jazz found him in a mini camp, took him, bought him. Didn't he didn't play summer league with the Jazz? He played summer league with the New Orleans Pelicans, and made their roster. And now he's one of the, the better three and D guys in the league. Joe Ingles, the guy, the Jazz got him off of scrappy. Rajon Tucker, who played tonight, he was undrafted. Um, George Yang was a second round pick who was waived by um, who was waived by the, the Indiana Pacers. Um, Emmanuel Moutier, who was a lottery pick, you know, he was kind of on a scrap heap. He's right now he's playing uh, on a veterans minimum. Those are five guys who are all in Utah's who are all in Utah's uh, rotation tonight, and who, and all five of those guys. Uh, all five of those guys made, you know, very healthy contributions. So, to me, um, you know, a second-round pick doesn't mean much to the Jazz. Yeah. Um, a first-round pick might not mean as much to the Jazz um, in terms of actually using those because they have other vehicles in order to find people who could come in and and be contributors. Well, they're definitely in a spot where they can. They should be looking to give up the future piece. I just think it's going to be tough. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Oh well, the, he he, the Kings aren't going to be able to resign him. But it's going to take a lot to get him. Like there was the Kuzma for Bogdan Bogdanovich yeah, stuff. That, that cat is really good. Bogdan Bogdanovich is so much better than Kuzma. Oh yeah, yeah that was. <laughs> that had to be a Lakers source. Bogdan Bogdanovich is really good and I would love to see every single casual basketball fan however be so confused about Bogdan and Boyan Bogdanovich playing next to each other (laughs) both Bogdanoviches who are both really good who are not related to each other no not even from the same place in in any way um really good I mean 
Boyan was awesome today, well, and he's just—he's been so good. Boyan Bogdanovich might be still a free agency at this point, even at seventy-three million dollars. He's uh, been awesome. That cat came out and dropped thirty-one points tonight. This is his eighth thirty-point game of the season in thirty-eight games. Um, he's averaging twenty-one points per game, um, and he, he did it as a secondary scorer. And tonight, uh, he stepped up as a primary scorer. Um, when when the Jazz needed, it. and he did that this he did that same thing last year with the Pacers when when uh, Victor Oladipo ruptured his quad, Boyan became the primary scorer and led them to the playoffs. Um, and he's doing the same thing now. He did the same thing tonight. You know, Donovan Mitchell he's out for an illness. He's really sick. He's in the locker room. He's giving people elbow daps instead of hand daps because he's so sick. Uh, and and Bojan Bogdanovich comes out and drops 31. And it was e- easy points as well. So um, the, J- the Jazz really just, to me, I mean, when when they came out that it was a $73 million price tag for free agency, we were all like, wow, this guy got paid. And he's out playing that $73 million right now. So yeah. that's that's been crazy for them. Yeah, it's been really good. You say Marcus Morris. Could find a way to fit. Similar kind of guy. We'll see what the Spurs decide to do. I wonder places where Rudy Gay might look good. Rudy Gay Hard washed. to match on salary. No, I don't think he's washed. I think there are places. I mean, he's an expensive salary. He's what, two years, 32 mil, right? Yeah. So I, it's hard to match on that salary. You got to find a salary that matches. The Jazz's salary is off the top of my head. Might have to find a third team or something like that. But, I mean, people talk all the time with the Spurs about what are the Spurs going to do. Is it going to be they going to trade Aldridge or are they going to trade DeRozan? DeRozan is hard to trade because he has that player option. Player options always complicate things. You don't quite know what he's going to do with that. Um, but, yeah, Rudy Gay is just a strict two-year 16. If you feel like that's a position where you're lacking, he can still do some stuff. He's a much more... I was not a big Rudy Gay guy when he was, like, lead scorer on a team, lead ball handler, well, like Toronto balls. Rudy Gay. But, but he's, he's, he's really become a, a, a nice offensive bench piece. His, his shot profile has cleaned up as his career has gone on. Totally, and he's become, yeah. he's become a much more efficient player and effective right. scorer. And, and, you know, and I think the people who, like, you know, I go, I'll use the Jordan Clarkson. Um, I use Jordan Clarkson as an example. Jordan Clarkson, and when he was with the Lakers, and you know when he was at Cleveland, you know his shot profile was awful, and his shot profile is cleaned up. He's taking threes, or he's getting to the rim and taking shots at the rim. The off the bounce, fade away, fifteen footers. He's eliminated that. Um, the off the bounce three pointers. He's eliminated that uh, to a degree as well. So he's taking catch-and-shoot threes. He's taking – he's getting to the basket off the bounce. He's posting up at the rim within eight feet. Um, and he's getting to the free throw line. He's doing those four things. And I think that Rudy Gay has done a lot of the same things as well. A lot of the, you know, off-the-bounce, mid-range stuff – that drives coaches crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's still – San Antonio rightfully gets a lot of criticism for this now with the way that they just like – I mean, I guess LaMarcus Aldridge just decided two weeks ago he was going to start taking threes. Uh, but for the most part, San Antonio still just digs so hard into the mid-range stuff. And Rudy Gay will still take mid-range shots. But it's one thing to, to take really terrible mid-range shots – Overall, he's been an effective scorer for them off the bench the last couple of years. Like he's he's changed the types of mid range shots he's taking. He's not really taking the the contested fourteen foot fadeaways. That's not a thing. Um, anything else that we want to touch on before we go? Man, I think we I'm just not. talked about the entire league. We talked about the entire league <laughs> for over an hour. Anything to plug? Um, everybody, go and read my three point story. I just wrote a major piece on 
the road that the Utah Jazz took to becoming the, the, the NBA's best three-point shooting team. Go read it. Go subscribe to The Athletic. In that story, I have very hilarious video of me almost having a heart attack after doing a drill. But it was like four or five drills. It wasn't just one drill. I'm in better shape than that. Um, so there's hilarious video of me. Um, it's a real good explainer of how the Jazz um, develop um, themselves behind the line. So go read it. Go subscribe to The Athletic. Subscribe for Fred's work. Subscribe for my work. Uh, this has been Game Notes and Wizards After Dark. Yes, it has. And you can go on and subscribe to Wizards After Dark or Game Notes on iTunes. Uh, this is obviously a free episode. If you are if you listen to either of my or Tony's podcast and you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you can do so. at the And you can get 40% off if you go to TheAthletic.com. 40% off. TheAthletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. You can do that, or theathletic.com slash game notes, I assume. You can get 40% off at either of those, and that doesn't just get you the podcast. That gets you everything. Gets you my work, Tony's work, David Aldridge's work. The whole shebang. Everything. MLB, NFL. You can read about that crazy Chiefs comeback. You can read about all of it. So uh, you'll get all your athletic stuff there. Uh, I will be back uh, for Thursday morning. The Wizards play next against the Bulls on Wednesday, and I'll be recording a podcast from Chicago and putting that up Thursday morning. That podcast is going to be behind the paywall. Uh, obviously, this is the free one. When you have next? Um, I'm not sure yet, but this is my free one for the week. I'm going to have another podcast this week behind the paywall for sure. Great. It's been Wizard After Dark and Game Notes. Yes. We'll talk to you guys soon.